This is the Bates Bobcast, our weekly podcast where we take a look at the week that was in Bates Athletics. My name is Aaron Morse, and this week we celebrate the outstanding performances turned in by Bobcat swimmers at the NCAA Championships. Plus, we preview the rowing season with two-time All-American Olivia Stockley and the Bobcats men's lacrosse team cracked SportsCenter's top 10 at number one. All that and more coming up on the Bates Bobcast. The Bates swimming program sent six women and a record five men to the NCAA championships last week. And the results they came back with are impressive and historic. The women's team finished 12th in the nation, its second best finish ever, while the men's team set a new program record with a 14th place finish. The women's 400 freestyle relay team became the first relay in team history to finish in the top eight taking sixth place in the championship final. All 11 swimmers, including first-year Caroline Apathy, sophomores Tanner Fuller, Yannicka Ho, and Monica Sears, and juniors Alex Bedard and Lucy Faust, deserve recognition. But to wrap up the season, we brought together the five Bates seniors who earned All-America honors. Teddy Pender, Jonathan Depew, Riley Ewing, Logan McGill, and Hope Logan. First, we asked Pender how it feels to be the most decorated male athlete in Bates history, finishing his career with 11 All-America honors. Then we talked about the meet, their times at Bates, and much more. I think it's kind of crazy, um, but I don't want it to take away from all the help I received from my teammates and uh, people that have come before me, so I think that's important to note as well. I wanted to know what it was feeling like when the final race was over, when you hit, touched the wall there. It was pretty sweet, actually, because I won the best time. So it, <laughs> it was, um, I was really happy with it. Um, but then it was a bit uh, bittersweet at the end when I realized it's, it's done now. And then on, on the women's side, I mean, the two captains here, uh, Hope Logan, Logan McGill. Hope, we'll start with you, you know, as, as a Mainer, you know, wrapping up your career there out there in the Midwest. What was the experience like for, you know, in your final race and after you all sat done looking back at it? It was really special because I usually swim longer events and I got to um, anchor some relays for Bates this uh, meet, which is new for me. Mm. And sprinting is something I don't get to do a lot of, but it was so fun and I got to go fast and... Um, it was just a really team-focused week, and it was awesome. It was yeah, great. Logan, it was all about relays, wasn't it? What was it like to have so many different relays to swim in? Well, that's definitely my favorite part of swimming. Like, I think I always do a lot better when I'm swimming for the team. And then also you could tell just, like, how excited we all were for each other and all to have each other on relays. Like, we were hugging after every single time we got out of the pool, and it was just, like, such a great way to finish my career. And then, Riley, on your end over there, we'll reach across the table here. But uh, for you, what was the experience like to have, you know, the, your teammates there to swim relays with? I know a couple years ago you were by yourself, but not this time. Yeah. <laughs> oh, it's always good having the boys around. Uh, we had the most amount of guys this year, so we ended up having five, and uh, that just adds to it. Having more guys is always going to be more fun. Um, all of us are a very like tight knit group, and so it was really easy to just like keep morale high. No matter how bad you were swimming or good you were swimming, it was just pretty easy to just like enjoy the moment and enjoy the last uh, year of swimming. 
And then I was looking at, you know, the social media posts. Jonathan, it seems like Coach was really having the time of his life watching all you go, go so fast, right? Coach Hussars actually started his coaching career at Wabash in Indiana. So going back to Indianapolis is um, kind of like a reminder of, like, where he started and shows you how far he's gotten with the Bates program now. Um, so, yeah, it's definitely coach was I think very happy with our performances you all had your families there uh, but a few families had many depews throughout the time coming to Bates and swimming so what was it like to have everyone there in one spot as well it was awesome um I think that's since maybe since like my sophomore year that was the first time we had everyone um all my siblings at the same meet so for it to be the final meet and have all my siblings and my parents there um it was pretty fun so Logan, I'm curious, you're from Texas, and um, you're a senior now, but take us back to when you are looking at schools. What made you come up here to Lewis and Maine? Yeah, so um, I really wanted a small school experience, and I also wanted to be able to swim at a competitive program, and so that really brought me to the NESCAC, and then um, also at some other schools that are like NESCAC schools. So I looked at um, Kenyon, Williams, Bates, and Colby, and I immediately fell in love with Bates, and my mom would say too, like, you just immediately liked it. I could tell, like, that you really felt at home here. And then um, Coach is such a phenomenal recruiter, and he's, like, so easy to talk to. And so he was also a really big reason that um, I ended up coming to Bates and, like, meeting the team was so special, and I just immediately felt like it was home. So, like, it was the decision ended up being pretty easy. And your family being there at Nationals, how often do they get a chance to see you swim? Um, they don't get a chance to see me swim as often as I would have liked, given that it's two flights and yeah. an hour drive to get here for my family. But um, it was really special and amazing having them at my last race ever. And um, my mom would say, too, like that she always loves it when I would have a good race and look up at her in the stands and with a big smile on my face. And so it was kind of like bringing it back to those days when I was younger and my mom would be watching me at some meets. It was great. So, Hope, uh, what, what's next for you now as a senior uh, having to complete your final meet? <laughs> Loaded question, maybe. But, I mean, <laughs> in terms of, I mean, I, I know you all teach lessons somewhat, or how does that go? I'm looking to complete my two theses right now towards <laughs> the end of the semester um, and have a really great short term. Um, no solid plans yet after graduation. Getting a job is first on my list. <laughs> <laughs> but um, are there some people here who teach lessons? The whole team does some lessons. Um, and I think Riley is doing lessons right now. But we had the option of either doing lessons now or in short term because of the short uh, you know, time frame with coming back from nationals. So I think the four of us are doing um, lessons uh, over short term. Gotcha. So yeah. Riley, you're doing them now. So who are the type of kids you're working with? Um, a lot of kids from the community, ranging all ages. Um, we have a lot of younger kids, actually. So I actually have a six-year-old. And uh, he's going to be, a, I think he's a novice swimmer. So we'll probably be working a lot on freestyle and maybe even just floating and getting the head under, just getting accustomed to the water. But they're all all ranges, all abilities, and it's always just fun having that one-on-one -on -one with the kid. Now we have the five seniors here, but there are obviously other folks at the meet as well. And so, what would like to see some of the younger swimmers do so well? Oh, it's it's absolutely great to see people like um, on the men's side, uh, Tanner and Alex Bedard there because um, they're there with us with us in practice every day, and they're they're the ones who push us. Um, but it's great to inspire them, and they help inspire other people on the team to 
achieve what we know that it can achieve, and that's competing in the national level. Um, so, yeah, it's fantastic seeing younger people at the meet. Yannicka definitely was really happy with how she swam. She won a best time in the 100 free leading off the relay and was just ecstatic. And then um, Caroline had a phenomenal swim on the 400 medley relay, go going almost a second faster than I think she went individually. So it just goes to show, like, how great we are when we swim for our team. Also, like, it was invaluable having Monica and Lucy there as well, and they swam really well. So everyone was really happy and really excited for each other. And then hoping we see these national meets. We see the NESCAC schools all finish like, or a lot of them finish like, you know, top 12 essentially, top 15 or whatever. What does that say about the strength of this conference? It's pretty incredible, isn't it? Yeah, it was so impressive. There were seven NESCAC teams there, right? Yeah, More? showing for There was a lot of relays there, a lot of relays swimming in the consolation final. Um, and the finals at night and so it was a huge showing it was great to see the other um, swimmers on deck from the NESCAC you recognize them you say hello and there's definitely a new atmosphere of the NESCAC really coming together at uh, nationals um, and, the cheer. and the cheer yeah the cheers um, was super fun everyone does the mid mids on a warpath cheer okay. um, changed into cacs on a warpath which is awesome because the Middlebury girls led us in that this year it was cool. Oh, nice. So you modify one of the cheers into the whole conference, basically? Yeah, exactly. Gotcha. Yeah. Uh, first top eight, right? For you, what was that experience like to be on the podium? Well, actually, it was kind of funny because at the beginning of the season, our coaches sit us down and kind of ask us for our goals for the team and for the season and our personal goals. And what I said that I wanted really more than anything was to be on a top eight relay at, na relay at nationals. And so to get to finish my career and exactly that way it was just really special and really exciting so it was great to be up on the podium I was really trying to hold it together and not burst into tears out of excitement but it was really great and then you know looking forward um you know we talked about the swim lessons y'all are doing but tell me about some of your short-term plans Teddy what about you um well I'm going to be working for coach helping him uh yeah. him out with uh swim camp and organizing that so I'm looking forward to that it should be some fun after short term so I'm looking for jobs in um data science field um things to do with analytics um, guess where my strength lie. Um, yeah, and I'm looking forward to that. Yeah, so short term I'm doing a course, Life Architecture, which is kind of career planning or, uh, based. And then post-grad, I don't have any plans, um, but I'm I'm a math major like Teddy, and so I'm looking in a similar data analytics field. So if anyone listening is at, <laughs> is uh, is hiring, let me know. We'll send the podcast to all the data analytics companies. Yeah, that sounds good. Is that difficult to have swimmers be math majors, or is that just something unique to you guys? Not not typical, yeah. not typical. I mean, there's always a few. Yeah, so, there's always a few. Yeah. <laughs> Riley, what about you? So I guess this short term I'm going to be doing some travel, but come summer I'm going to be working at actually at the swim camp for a couple weeks. Um, so it'll be great to just stick around. And then after that, just relax. Hopefully do some job search and find something. But I'm really hoping to just like hang out this summer and see the, see the world see a bunch of friends and hang out after all all this four years of like this hard work and honestly all of the, with like swimming being done I don't have any obligation to like <laughs> stick it stick my head in a pool so yeah. well speaking of that I mean competitive swimming is, is this I mean it is it's hard it's hard training so is there any visions here at the table of doing competitive swimming later on in, in some capacity or 
That's definitely a good question and one that a lot of people have been asking me. I was saying like, oh, to my parents, like, I'm so glad you were there for my last race ever. And they're like, well, you could do master's swimming. And I was like, I don't want to think about that right now. I need a long break and then and then I'll consider it. But um, I was telling people, too, like, I don't know what I'm going to do really without that competitive outlet. And I've been an athlete my whole life, so it's definitely going to be weird making that transition. Um, but I think I'll definitely return to it at some point, if not just for competitive swimming, at least for exercise. Well, and hope we've seen associate head coach Vanessa Williamson do quite well in some competitions recently, right? I mean, is there any coaching perhaps in your future, you think? Or? Yeah, she just she went to Budapest this summer. Yeah, yeah she's really, she's great. Um, I'm not sure. Maybe um, everyone needs a side hustle for a while. <laughs> <laughs> um, currently, my side hustle is waitressing, but maybe I could add that into the mix. What was it like being the captains this year, working together to lead the team? It definitely makes you appreciate the captains that came before you and all the put work that they put in that maybe you don't see or you don't appreciate quite as much. But it was awesome. We made a great team, and um, it was cool. It was cool to see at NESCAX a lot of the girls got pretty emotional. Um, and I was like, hey, like you, this, you, this meant a lot to you, and it was great to see. For you? Oh, yeah, definitely just echoing what Hope said. Like, I think we worked really well together as a team. Um, like, we definitely have different strengths, and we're able to use each other's strengths in ways that benefited the women's team. And then also, like, we we had a lot of help. I mean, being the only two women from our grade, usually the seniors will also kind of step up and help the captains, but we didn't really have that. So a lot of the younger kids really stepped up and took on more leadership roles, and it was really exciting to see that and gives us a lot of, um, hope for the future of the team as well. All right, we'll go around the table for one final question. Just, I want your final thoughts and best you can about what, what your time at Bates has meant to you from you know swimming and academic perspective. Definitely rewarding. I think I think maybe the big theme for me is it's not always easy, but um, it's always worth it. And nothing that's worth it is ever easy. So um, just keeping that in mind and keeping kind of like the goal setting in mind and being able to, you know, tackle these goals and um, overcome all the obstacles on the way to the goals. Um, that's probably what Bates Athletics has meant to me in my four years. Teddy? So I looked for the best academics and the best athletics that I could find, and I definitely found that here. Um, the academics are second to none, and only through hard work will you achieve great things here, and that's exactly what we do. Um, and then secondly, with the athletic side of things, um, I definitely found three coaches, um, Vanessa, Pete, and Bill, who all helped me achieve what I wanted to achieve. Um, so if you're listening to this and thinking about coming to Bates, uh, want to swim fast and do great things in the world, then, then this is the place for you. Great. Riley? Um, yeah, so I was just very attracted to um, uh, the community at Bates and what it had to offer in terms of just um, – People being really nice to each other, but also encouraging each other in every regard, whether it be athletics or academics. Everyone seems to just have like their best interest in you. And um, I ended up maturing a lot over the past four years and couldn't have asked for a better college to go to. Logan? Yeah, so I think um, obviously the academics are... Um, really impressive and everything I wanted in a school um, and same with the athletics just watching the program grow from the time I was a freshman till now has been incredibly exciting and rewarding 
Um, and swimming, as you mentioned, like takes a lot of hard work and determination, a lot of early mornings. So I think I learned a lot of important lessons um, from that. And then just like being a student athlete, like I've always said that my grades are always better in season. Yeah. <laughs> um, so it's really added a lot to my academics as well. And finally, not last but not least, our Mainer Hope. Bates definitely challenged me in ways that I didn't expect, but also gave me opportunity, huge, huge, huge opportunities to grow in uh, ways that I didn't expect. Um, so, and I really found a family um, in the community at Bates and also uh, in the pool and on deck. Hope Logan, Logan McGill, Riley Ewing, Teddy Pender, Jonathan DePew, thanks so much. Thank, Thank you. you. The men's lacrosse team started the week with a bang by beating Keene State 21-8 in a game that featured this nifty goal from Brendan Mullally on an assist from Matt Lestava. Lestava behind his back and a behind-the-back goal by Brendan Mullally. The Bobcats are making it look easy now. The behind-the-back pass leading to a behind-the-back goal made ESPN's SportsCenter's top plays that night at number one. Although the Bobcats fell to Williams on Saturday, Bates is back in action Tuesday night, hosting Endicott at Garcelon Field. The women's lacrosse team beat Roger Williams 13-5 on Thursday, and the Bobcats followed that up by earning their first NASCAC win of the year, a come-from-behind 11-10 victory at Williams on Saturday. Junior goalkeeper Eliza Statil made a career-high 14 saves, helping Bates hold on to its one-goal lead down the stretch. It was pretty nerve-wracking. I tried to stay calm. I was talking to one of my friends, and it was almost like a weird, euphoric calm, just more relaxed than especially it would have been last year when we had a lot of overtime games. Um, I was really hoping that we don't, didn't go into overtime and was just thinking, okay, the next play is the most important on defense. We're like, it's got to be really tight. Uh, don't foul, make good decisions, and that's what we tried to do. This team has been involved in so many close games, not just this year, but last year, even the year before. What's that been like for you um, You know, in your three years in this program, all these close games it seems like? It's always a thriller. We go into every Nescott game thinking, okay, this could go either way, but that's really excited when you're playing some of the typically uh, top-scoring teams and top-ranking teams in the NESCAC. You think, okay, I can compete with anyone out here, and that's really nice, but you can't underestimate anyone. So in this game, you're down three goals. Camille Beltay gets her second yellow card, so she has to sit out the rest of the game. Then you go down four goals, and the team's able to rally. I mean, what, what were you thinking? You're down four goals at that point. It's like, oh, man, we don't have Camille either. Yeah. <laughs> so we had a timeout pretty close uh, to when Cam got her second yellow card, and I have to give a lot of credit to our bench. They were going crazy, and that energy sparked us going into the next couple of fast break goals that we had. Um, Teal stepped up huge, scored a couple goals at the end there, and then we just kept momentum, kept rolling, and we're like, okay, keep possession, hold on to the ball, make good decisions, and it was, it was huge that everyone stepped up surrounding that. Obviously, the shot clock is new this year. How's it impacted the game for you? Um, for me, it's almost... It's almost nice because I can be like, okay, I can focus for 90 seconds, try and make a save in that, and then we either have to win the ground ball in <laughs> the 8 meter or just hold it off and make sure we get a good clear off that. But it's been kind of nice. It gives me a little bit more of what to expect as opposed to getting lulled to sleep for a couple of minutes and then a shot coming after four or five minutes, which is what attackers used to do last year.
2-0 week for the team. You also beat Roger Williams there in non-conference midweek. How did those non-conference games help you prepare for the NESCAC one? Yeah, so we called it Williams week, which is right. really funny. Yeah. And, <laughs> and we were hoping to get two huge wins this week, our first NESCAC one, which worked out well. But uh, Roger Williams definitely prepared us. Uh, they're a good non-conference team. Um, and we're hoping to win all of our non-conference games. But we got some momentum going in, started scoring a lot of goals again after Trinity, which was really helpful. And then we're hoping to keep that, that ball rolling as we go into Hamilton and St. Joe's this week. Obviously, every team in the NESCAC is tough, but you have already dealt with you know two of the more elite teams in the conference. So you see some you know, probably some optimism looking at the future here in terms of the schedule, right? Definitely. We're ho- looking forward to playing Colby, Bowden, um, a couple of other NESCACs that are closer to us, and then Tufts and Amherst will be a battle. However, we know that we can compete now, and I think after coming from four goals down, you're like, okay, we can fight back. Any deficit doesn't really matter to us anymore. It's, okay, we can compete with any team. So, And we're our own worst enemy. <laughs> like We're the team that we're competing against the most. Gotcha. And no, your second year as a starter in goal, what adjustments have you made from your first year? What did you learn from last year that you're applying to this season, you think? Um, I'm trying to be more relaxed when I step into the goal and make good decisions, especially in transition. Um, that's been huge, trying to eliminate turnovers um, in the clear, make good decisions off of that. But I think I finally realized, like, okay, I can make a huge impact and trying to be someone that keeps us in games and makes a huge difference when the, the games are tight. Tell me a little bit about your uh, one of your first years there, Summer. She seemed to have a big impact right away, right? Yeah, Summer's great. She's been really helpful in the midfield. Uh, she's a lefty, which mm. I hope other NESCAC teams don't hear, but <laughs> she's a lefty, and um, she's been scoring a lot of goals for us, doing really good things on the on the draw. Um, she's one of our middies that's on the circle, so we're really excited for her for the next couple of years. You mentioned Hamilton coming up. Obviously, they had a I think they had a really good year last year. Maybe not as great so far this season. But what do you remember from last year about them? Hamilton came out really strong last year. We played them uh, at Hamilton, so I'm excited to play them at right, home, which right. will be really nice. I think we have to come out strong, come out shooting really well, like we do against all NESCAC teams. Um, they've had a couple of tough games. Uh, recently, so hopefully we can use our momentum and try and counter that. Overall, that Williams game, where does that rank in terms of thrillers that you've played in, you think? Uh, that's up there. That's yeah. one I'll remember for a really long time. I think just everyone running and hugging me at the end of the game was huge, and the energy that we felt, so that was a lot of fun. All right, Eliza, thanks so much. Yeah, thank you. The baseball team won its third straight game Sunday, rallying from three runs down in the top of the ninth to prevail 4-3 to over the University of Massachusetts Dartmouth. The Bobcats did not record a hit until Pat Beaton's go-ahead single with two outs in the ninth put Bates up by one run. Senior captain Connor Russell got a no decision, but he tossed seven strong innings, allowing just two runs while striking out a career-high eight. I think part of it was that it was so cold that they probably couldn't feel the bat in their hands. But uh, <laughs> uh, no, I was keeping the ball low all game, which is something we've been working on a lot lately. Um, and just kind of mixing speeds, keeping the ball low. They were uh, chasing a little bit and uh, led to more strikeouts than usual. So when it's that cold, uh, what are some of the advantages and disadvantages for a pitcher like yourself? Some innings it was snowing, some innings it was windy, so you just got to find the right moments to to be on the mound and uh, just keep the ball low. That's, that's really what it comes down to. Is that one of the crazier wins you've had uh, during your time here in terms of the team? Because, I mean, one hit, but a 4-3 to three victory and being no hit till the ninth inning. <laughs> yeah, it was, I mean, it was a crazy series of events. I think it would probably be the, one of the weirder wins in my career here between walks, hit, bat, hit, hit batsmen, and a couple fielders' choice. 
without a hit is to score a couple of runs there is pretty wild. Seventh inning, I know you ran some trouble. You were able to get out, um, get get the inning, get through the inning, I should say. And so, what was key to kind of limiting the damage there? Uh, I was starting to get a little tired in the seventh. I could tell, um, but just staying away, like keeping the ball on the outer half, let them, you know, try to chase something away was was key. Once I went in, that's when they started to barrel the ball, so I had to stay off on the outer half of the plate. Once you guys have the lead, which you guys got in the top of the ninth, it must be nice to have your fellow senior captain Jake Shapiro there to close things out, right? Yeah, he's been he's been awesome so far. Uh, I mean, big strong lefty like coming out just throwing gas. So um, a little bit of a speed change from when I was pitching. So they were, they got used to that, and then and then Jake comes in and shuts him down. So that was awesome to see. The team as a whole year got Netscape play starting this weekend, uh, taking on uh, Bowden there in a three-game series. Obviously, last year got a, off to a great start in Netscape play, so looking to duplicate that this year, I'm sure. Yeah, we're really excited to go back up to uh, Colby's Field, which we feel like is our home field. Right. Um, uh, but yeah, Bo- I mean, Bowden's a good team. I think they're they're they played some similar teams as us. They're they're doing pretty well, so we're excited to to go up there and see what happens. As one of the seniors, how much do you talk to some of those younger pitchers about you know? Uh, success and what you've noticed from them and everything oh yeah we talk all the time yeah, um, yeah I mean our, as I said we just our big focus has been keeping the ball down that was our that was our weakness in California um, and we've done so much work to to get the ball down and it's really shown we had no walks in that last game on Sunday um, and those giving up those free bases is what leads to runs so any way we can minimize that is is good for us yeah, the team has multiple games I know where you don't you just don't walk anyone I mean that's 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 half the battle right yeah I mean I think our strengths we know as part of our team identity is uh pitching and defense so as long as we can minimize the walks minimize the free bases we'll give ourselves a chance every game what was the reaction to the dugout when Pat found the hole there and got the base hit oh I mean everyone was going wild everyone knew that it was tied up with no outs bases loaded something was going to happen and and Beaton's the you know he's the he's the right guy for the job there He's a scrappy little player and, and always seems to find a way, so we were really excited for him. Since the California trip, you guys have won three in a row now, and so you mentioned that was one of the lessons is keeping the ball down. How important was it from a leadership perspective for the, you to make sure the younger guys don't get too down on themselves? And stuff? Yeah, I mean, I think we were all a little bit down. We didn't know really know what to expect going out to California. We thought we were ready, but realized, obviously, <laughs> we weren't. Um, but, you know, just working day in and day out, keeping the ball low, we've set up. We throw our bullpens with a string right at the right at the knees on the catcher's line. You have to get it below the knee every single time, um, and so that's been really helpful for a visual cue for pitchers, and it gives instant feedback. You know when you're when you're throwing, so that's been awesome to have, and it's it's worked so far for a lot of guys. Any other thoughts on uh, you know your senior year here as being one of the captains? What you're most excited about entering NESCAC play this weekend? Yeah, I'm really excited for NESCAC play. It's, it's I mean it's the best time of the year. These 12 games um, are so much fun. Yeah, I'm excited to see what we can do. I mean, Bowden's a good team, and then we got Colby the next weekend. So, at Colby again. So, uh, I'm really excited for it. Yeah. All right, Connor Russell. Thanks so much. Thanks. The rowing teams get their spring seasons underway on Saturday. The defending national champion women's team is riding high after going to the TD Garden last weekend to be honored at halftime of the NCAA men's basketball tournament game between Texas Tech and Purdue. Senior captain and two-time All-American Olivia Stockley joined the Bobcast to talk about that experience and the upcoming season. It was an absolutely surreal experience, um, and our coach Peter Steenstra even talk to us about it beforehand saying like this is the the absolute largest crowd you will ever be in front of no matter if half the people are getting food during the halftime show which probably they were but it was this just absolutely amazing experience of being 
recognized with all of these fans who were maybe wanted to cheer for basketball, but um, to, you know, really show all of the hard work that we've been putting in and to be recognized was just really incredible experience. And I saw some recent grads were able to join you, right? Yeah, we actually had all of the people, all of the graduates um, from the class of 2017 were able to come back and join us, which also it was just so nice to be able to sort of get the gang back together and to hang out and reminisce on the experience because we haven't all been in the same place since we won. So that was really incredible. So I don't know if folks listening know this, but we're talking to a two-time All-American here, right? <laughs> uh, you know, and All-American and rowing is so interesting because you, an average person looks at rowing and they, you know, they see, you know, a group of people and that's what it is, a group of people working together. What does it mean to you to get those individual honors like that? I feel very lucky to, uh, to have um, sort of achieved that honor, but I mean, I wouldn't be in that position without the rest of the people in the boat. I mean, it, it is an individual award, but, you know, without the placement that we've gotten at all of the races that we've been a part of, I wouldn't be obtaining that honor. So, you know, I it's not about patting yourself on the back. It's about thanking the rest of your teammates for helping you get to that place. Well, speaking of the rest of your teammates, you all won the head of the Charles uh, Collegiate Eights this past fall. I mean, that's a obviously one of the most famous for guys in the world, right? What was that experience like for you? I mean, the team had done it before, but was this the first time you'd been on the winning team? This, this was. Yeah. So the last time around, my sister was actually in the boat, oh, and nice. she won. Um, <laughs> and it was that was my freshman year, which was my first head of the Charles racing opportunity that I've ever been on. I visited it for years and years and seen my parents row in it, um, but never have had the opportunity. And then uh, this year, you know, we were feeling strong going in and were very hopeful and um, just had – one of the best races of my entire life. We just felt so strong throughout the entire race. And, you know, we managed to pass Williams, which was a huge, a huge thing during the middle of that piece to be able to do. And um, it was very surreal. And breaking the record was that much, that much more. In the world of rowing, I mean, is that almost a bigger deal at the NCAA or is it not quite? I, I mean, I think in terms of collegiate, uh-huh. uh, collegiate rowing, I would say NCAA is, yeah. you know, the more prestigious because it is, you know, you're the national champion. Um, yeah. And But Head of the Charles, I think, sort of in the global rowing sphere is a very, very prestigious race. And, you know, it's equivalent to like the Oxford-Cambridge race, which, you know, you see over in England. Everybody comes over for the Head of the Charles, but... Um, yeah, they're both up there. They're both really both great races. So the season gets underway this weekend, right? The, yeah, the spring season. Yeah. How much opportunity have you got on the water, if at all, right now? We've had nothing so far. Nothing. So okay. the yeah, we're following the same track as we did last year, um, where we didn't get on the water until April vacation. So we don't. I mean, we'd hope we get on before then, but at this point, the ice is still pretty thick and uh, it's not warming up too much, unfortunately. So. We're just sticking to our main plan of just we're strong on the ergs and, you know, we always manage to find a good swing once we're out on the water, even though we haven't had the chance to be out there yet. So how does the erg training help you prepare for the races coming up? Well, uh, coach likes to put us through a bunch of technique and drills while we're on the ergs. So to sort of give us what we would be doing on the water, but what we can only do on an ergometer. So staying in time with each other and making sure we're all swinging together gives us the opportunity to mimic a boat but also maintaining sort of our cardio and strength that we do with the ergometer. So you're a Mainer from Portland. Yeah. Uh, why do you, back when you're choosing college, your sister went here, obviously. Was yeah. that a big factor in wanting to go here? It was. Or was that a mitigating factor? Uh, no, that yeah. was, she was, um, at first I I wasn't sure, I wasn't dead set on Bates, and mm-hmm. she really turned me on to the school and especially onto the rowing team. So I definitely have her to thank for 
coming to Bates and rowing at Bates. So, yeah. It's really up to her. <laughs> do you remember how she first ended up coming here? She was look, also looking at collegiate rowing programs yeah. and um, was looking... She was looking at similar schools like the NESCAC, you know, small liberal arts colleges and landed on Bates somehow. And she had gone to boarding school, so she didn't mind coming back to Maine and being here for her college experience and fell in love and then so did I. So You're a captain this year, right? Yes. So what are some of the extra responsibilities maybe you have this I think a lot of it is just sort of um, being the liaison between coach and the team when, you know, we're doing a practice that maybe is really tough and, you know, we're all feeling a little run down. It's just keeping that pep up and making sure that everybody is, like, doing what they're supposed to be doing um, even when we maybe don't want to as much. And then, of course, just meeting with coach and logistics-wise talking with him. But, yeah. A lot of logistics in rowing. A lot of logistics. <laughs> a lot and a lot of logistics, yeah. Um, yeah, even just, like, organizing van rides is, like, a, you know, what the captain is doing, which is not a not a pretty task, but it has to be done, so. Tell us about the regatta race you have this weekend. So, we actually have, it's uh, two races, you know, over the course of one morning, so and on the same body of water. So, um, we're racing, we have a new race this year against uh, Georgetown and... University of Rhode Island, I believe. And then we also have our returning race of the Harvard Lightweights, um, which is very exciting because they're not crews that we see during almost any of our other races. Um, but we've managed to maintain this race over the past couple of years, and we're excited to go back and see them again. So what position are you in the boat this year? I mean, I know it always mixes around. It always mixes around, <laughs> but um, I'm usually sitting right in the uh, right in the powerhouse, so either in four or six seat. I'm a port, so I don't have a lot of places to go, and uh, I don't really... I'm never really seen in bow, and I'm not a stroke seat, so four or six is usually where I am. And has that been where... That's where you were in high school and stuff like that, too? Uh, high school, I actually was a stroke, okay. uh, and then I came came here and realized quickly that I was not a stroke. I was meant to sit in the powerhouse um, and have just been thriving there since then. All right, for novices with rowing, what is powerhouse? I mean, I can guess. The powerhouse, powerhouse yeah. So mean? powerhouse, just the, the... They think of it as, like, the engine room of mm. the boat. So you have the stroke who's, you know, setting the pace and making sure everybody stays in time. And then um, seven seat is, you know, mimicking them so that everybody else is following them. And then the middle four people of the boat are known as, like, the engine room. So where the brute strength comes from, <laughs> as, as they like to say. Yeah. Great. And, uh, I mean, I know you have a, a new coxswain this year in the first varsity, and she's mm -hmm. already led you to the title. And, and Charles and Hannah yeah. had to ruin really stepping up, right? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think we see it every year with new coxswains coming up and um, taking from past coxswains and using their, you know, own personal methods and just figuring out how to how to lead crews the best that they can. So, right, Any other thoughts on the upcoming season? I'm just excited to finish my finish my four years. It's a little, you know, already getting sentimental is, you know, maybe feels a little too soon, but just excited to get the racing season started. We've been waiting for it for so long in the dead of winter, so <laughs> ready to get going. There you go. Olivia Stockley, thanks so much. Thank you. To wrap up this week's episode of the Bates Bobcast, we talk with a pair of podcasters who happen to be Bates alumni. Sam Evans-Brown and Alex Kappelman both graduated from Bates in 2009. Evans Brown was a Nordic skier at Bates who competed at the NCAA Championships for the Bobcats his senior season. He currently hosts the podcast Outside In on New Hampshire Public Radio. 
Meanwhile, Alex Kappelman was the captain of the men's ultimate team, one of the school's many club sports. He recently hosted a podcast called The Decision, in which he had fans of every NBA team attempt to convince him to abandon his beloved New York Knicks. Kappelman is also an adjunct professor of journalism at NYU. They were here this week to talk to Bates students, faculty, and staff as part of the Purposeful Work Unplugged series. And afterward, Kappelman and Evans Brown reflected on Ultimate, Nordic Skiing, podcasting, and more. Ultimate is my favorite. I, I love it. I miss it. Played all four years, was captain junior and senior year. Best part for me, I mean, like, was, was competing. Going to tournaments and competing and winning. That was the best part by far. Oh, well, Sam, you know, as a Nordic skier here, obviously Becky Woods has been our coach for a very long time. What was she like as a coach? Becky Becky was team mom. Uh, everyone referred to her that way. And, she, I mean, she's great. She's very supportive and and was just sort of trying to to – uh, let you let you make your training work for you, right? So get out of the way, make everything easy, uh, so that so that you could put in the many many hours it took to be a fast skier. Well, we've talked about this, you know, skiing at Bates. I mean, you're you're off campus a lot, right? So how did you manage to balance the time you had to spend away, whether it be practicing or at carnivals with you know the academics here? I will say there's a very real skill that I learned from skiing is time management, right? Mm-hmm. You just had to had like every moment was was very much allotted for while I was here at Bates. You're still skiing though, right? So why did you decide to continue it after college? So I coached the local high school team over in Concord, New Hampshire, and it's because I'm obsessed with the sport <laughs> and and I can't stop. Uh, and, and actually like dealing, uh, not dealing with, but interacting with the high school kids is probably my favorite thing that I do right now because uh, they're, you know, they're just, many of them are just getting into it and it's like you're handing them your first love. Let's talk about your podcasts. Uh, first of all, the Decision podcast which uh, came out recently, the final episode, I believe, was back in October, right? Um, when you finally decided to, and we're going to spoiler alert here, people, you abandoned the New York Knicks to root for the San Antonio Spurs, but you told us during the discussion where you haven't really watched any basketball at all, so the essence of the podcast has almost been rendered almost irrelevant. I mean, what, what was the experience like to produce that podcast? So it sounded like you had a lot of fun with it. Yeah, I mean, for me, it was all about the stakes of it, the stakes being, like, the Knicks were a huge, huge, huge part of my life growing up. Like, I would watch pretty much every game, and they would lose pretty much every game. And, you know, I have thought a lot about whether or not that experience has been in some way transformative for for who I was as a person and who I am as a person. Uh, So making the podcast was very cathartic in that I guess it allowed – I didn't realize it at the time – but I guess it allowed me to finally say, okay, I can I can let this go. I don't need to stay until the Knicks win a championship for the first time since 1971 or whatever. So if they do win a championship in the next few years, what will your re- reaction be? Uh, <laughs> people, you know, when I when I left when I left the Knicks and then like they they started the season like I don't know like 15 and five or something like that, something crazy, and like Kristaps was like bawling out of his head or something. All of my friends who stayed Knicks fans just gave me so much grief for it, and that was a bad experience. That was not fun. Uh, so I, I, sh- I, I shudder to think. Why haven't you watched the Spurs that much this year? I mean, time zone difference or anything? <laughs> I mean, well, I actually chose the Spurs over the Warriors partly because of the time zone thing, and I like to fall asleep at like 1030. Right. Um, but I, I really do think it's because it's been more of a cathartic experience. Like releasing the show enabled me to finally give up my like, you know, give up my love for the Knicks. And because I don't have, I don't pay for cable, like or I'm a cord cutter, right? Um, I had have to go out of my way to, you know, pay for league pass and watch the Spurs or something. And 
I just haven't done that. Sam, you've also been able to connect sports with your podcast. Uh, you do a podcast on the outdoors there for New Hampshire uh, Public Radio. And your most recent one that I listened to was about the experience of uh, one of the United States skiers falling just short of qualifying for the Olympics. What was that reporting process like, and how did you come up with the concept? It's such funny. I've, I've, for a really long time, I think because of my trajectory as a skier, which was I was pretty good, but never quite good enough to, to like easily qualify for things. I've always been pretty interested in the idea of athletes who hang on to the dream well past the point where they should. And I've actually thought this would be a really good book uh, to write at some point, which I hope no one steals now that I'm saying it out loud, but uh, the, that like to write about like minor league players who do it, play minor league baseball for like 15 years, hoping that they're going to make it. Um, and just like, you know, and, and in skiing, it's even worse because no one's paying them. I mean, they're, they're surviving hand to mouth on like these piddly race winnings that they can occasionally, you know, scrap together on the domestic circuit. Um, so that, as a subject, was interesting to me for a really long time. And then an Olympics year is always an opportunity that people, you know, are actually paying attention to cross-country skiing, you know, for the only time that they do every four years. Uh, and, and I know the, the Nordic scene well enough that I, that I was connected with the people who, um, who were on the bubble and who didn't quite make it. And so I was sort of there to pounce and, and uh, make a story. Going back to you, Alex, in terms of podcasting, as you're, you know, he works for New Hampshire Public Radio, you're more of an individual type of, in terms of this is like from the ground up. Uh, what really gave you the idea to, to try to get into this without joining on to like a bigger network? Well, I think it probably comes from uh, my background as a musician. Uh, I was, you know, in a New York indie band, you know, after graduating, and basically everything there was like record yourself, like promote yourself, like reach out to every blog yourself like you had to do it all yourself because you know Atlantic Records wasn't knocking on my door saying like hey man do you mind if we pay you to go record an album uh so that was mostly the inspiration for me when I started my own show just being like you know what I'm just gonna go and, and do this myself and like if it works awesome if it doesn't I'll try something else uh and then it worked um and that's colored my philosophy about making podcasts uh, since. How often do you get to come back to campus? Is your first time back since graduation? You've been here a few times? So this is, I think my, my uh, I haven't been here since our five-year reunion, which was, I guess, four years ago. And it's interesting to see things like Chu Hall. Like, I was driving by last night, and I was like, what the heck is this thing? <laughs> that was weird. Um, and But it's also nice, I like, I spent like a couple hours today just kind of walking around and like walking through like Pigel and like walking through the library being like, I remember studying right there. That's so weird. I had so many terrible hours of my life just stressing over thesis. Um, but it's, I mean, it, it's, I don't know, it's like a walk through, you know, we're literally in this, or we're figuratively in this bubble, and it, I feel like I somehow got back into the bubble. Like, the same smells of certain places, too. I don't know if you experienced that, Sam. The last time I think I was back was for an alumni Frisbee tournament, because my wife, <laughs> my wife was also captain of the Frisbee, the women's Frisbee squad, and so, so I would actually see Alex quite a lot when we'd come back, but that was a long, I think it was, it was, was before, I think that was before both of us were in yeah. the video. 
Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, absolutely. I, so I think it was like 2010, 2011, wow. somewhere. So it's been a long time. Uh, and, and yeah, I mean, uh, the, the sort of like walking through commons and figuring out what to eat felt, yeah. felt very surreal uh, and, and also a little bewildering. Like, you know, like we will live in a world now of very prescribed choices where it's like I bought the things, they're in my fridge, I'm going to cook them as opposed to like the world is your oyster down there. Um, but yeah, no, I mean, it's like the campus looks great. Uh, the buildings are great. I, I, you know, it's funny because it, it, with the benefit of time, I've, I've grown to view my college experience with a little bit of jaundice because of, because of like how I see the world now. And, and I, you know, I, I treasure every moment I had at Bates, but, but like these institutions of higher learning are a way that our privilege is passed, you know, through through generations because they they are so expensive. And so I was lucky to get to go here, but but there's a certain amount of of um, you know guilt that I feel about the fact that I got to go here. I've been thinking about this a lot recently, mm-hmm. just because of sort of the trajectory of the stories that we've been working on on the podcast. Um, and and like I don't know that I have an answer. I don't think I, it would be very glib of me to suggest that I do. But the best that thing that I've been able to come up with in my own brain is is you know. That the the thing that we can do is is whatever we can to be an ally to the people who the people who who need allies. Um, and so, insofar as I've been given a position and a and a soapbox to stand on and a microphone to speak into, um, sharing that with people who don't usually get it shared with them is is something I can do. I agree. And this last question for both of you: Any other thoughts you have on this re- return to campus that you want to share with our listeners? It's weird, man. It's really weird. I mean, it's it's cool, but it's really weird. I feel I'm I'm excited to be back. It's it's really nice to see Sam. I see him every year at like the big radio conference, but uh, it's nice to see Sam's baby who's over there. Very cute, month old baby, fresh. Uh, yeah, no, it's just it's it's it feels nice to be back. It it affected me more than I uh, uh, thought it would. I think that's right. Yeah, I was I like I said I I was sort of like unsure of how I felt about Bates, but I got back on campus and was like, I was like, oh, actually, this was my home, you know, and it still feels like home. Next time on the Bates Bobcast, we recap the start of NASCAC play for baseball and softball, plus the lacrosse team square off with Hamilton, and women's tennis has a big match at Tufts. All that and more next time on the Bates Bobcast.